Well, welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Welcome, everybody, watching online and at our Montrose building and our live sites. Good to see you guys as well. Uh, here at Gent Road, there's some folks looking for seats. So if you have one near you, there's four right here in the front row, right where I can see you. Right here in the front row. We can make eye contact for the next 40 minutes. It'll be awesome. Anybody? All right. Well, we'd, uh, we'd love to, uh, to remind you about Saturday night services and the Montrose Extension. Saturday night's awesome. There's lots of parking. It's all free, and there's 1% off your tithe. And so if you want to come to that, it's great. I, I love all this, guys. The, I, I love the, the church in action. This, um, this uh, EP that's out by the collective band, you need to grab that. Uh, here's the funnest part of that. I'm getting old. I'm getting old. I've aged well, obviously, but I'm getting old. And uh, I'm old enough now that I, I look back and I, I think of uh, young adults as kids still, right? Because I saw them as kids. So if, if I say older people, if you immediately start to tell yourself you're not, you are. So those of us who are older people... One of the things that you should uh, take pride in and excitement in, like these kids, these adults that wrote these, this album and this EP, uh, they walked in our nurseries. You know, it, it's a fun, fun thing to look and say over their lifetime, Sunday school, their, their time. And uh, John, like you're the biggest guy in the whole church. <laughs> but they, all right, you are, you are now in charge of security for me. <laughs> Hi, Internet, we're back because the camera was blocked there for a moment. But, but the, these, kids, uh, these kids grew up in the church, and now they're young adults, they're married, you know, they're, but they're leading us. And that's a powerful thing, it really is. When, when you think about what we do at Grace and why we do it, and all the investment that goes into kids and youth, and then to see those kids grow up and love Christ, to be our worship leaders now, it, it's just awesome. There was a, a big junior high retreat this weekend. So later on, you're going to see a bunch of very exhausted adults. Let them go free and go home because they've been with junior high kids all weekend. But that kind of stuff like pays off. It really, really does over time. And so, anyways, that's why I love that so much. And uh, what I'm so excited about it. And, and the music's phenomenal, and their hearts are phenomenal. And grab that and be proud. Be proud of, of uh, how they've given their self to, to the Lord and even to the movement of grace. So, love it. We're in a series right now called Some Things That We Should Never Do Alone. And we're talking about that idea that Christ commu- uh, created following him to be something that's done in community. So we've said Christianity is not a solo sport, it's a team sport. And the way that Jesus created the church and even our relationship with him is he would look and say, that's how you do it. You connect strongly with me and then you connect strongly with each other and that creates the dynamic. Jesus even says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their their presence. There's something about us being together and connected that, that energizes the Christian life and even causes it to play out correctly. And so we've been talking about that, and we've been learning that that connection and the relationship that comes from it is actually to be the hallmark of the Christ follower. Jesus's words in John 13, this new command I give you, the you is Christ followers, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so that is to be what marks the Christ follower, not the subculture, not even our family identities, certainly not our politics or something like that. It's this uniqueness of doing life together and loving each other. And we've said that is a complicated thing, right? Sometimes loving people is easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. And most of the time it's just confusing, right? How do I do that? I don't want to, I want to love them. I don't want to enable them. I want to love them, but I can't accept their behavior. I want to love them, but I'm not sure what to do. And we've said that what God did to help us with that is he gave us what we called the one another's. It's 59 different things throughout the scripture 
where we can grab hold of and God can use those. And he would say, this is a way to tangibly express my love to one another. You could pray for one another. You could forgive one another. You could carry each other's burdens. You could be hospitable to one another. And when I'm not sure what to do in the midst of that confusion, I can grab one of those one another's and kind of implement it, and it will universally express the love of God through you to someone else. We've also taken the time to dig at the word love because we use it a lot, right? We love the Browns. We love the dog. We love pizza. We love the Ohio State Buckeyes, which God does also. We're number one. And so all of that. So we looked at Romans chapter 12. The apostle Paul helped us with this. Love must be sincere hate what's evil, cling to what is good. This word love here is a Greek word. It's the word agape. So we'll call it an agape love. Agape means selfless or other-centered or whatever is necessary for you to have your needs met, your emotions connected with, whatever's necessary for you to know and receive love, I will give to you. And we said that's the love that Christ gave for us. So Paul says agape must be sincere. That word sincere in the Greek is where we get our word hypocrite. So it must not be hypocritical. So when I give love, there's no strings attached. And it must be sincere when I receive love. I'm not manipulating you. I don't feel entitled. I'm not trying to control you. I'm going to give sincerely. I'm going to receive sincerely. And when that happens, then we're doing the one another's. And we liken that to playing catch, right? The game of catch is I am a thrower and I am a receiver. I'm a thrower and I'm a receiver. That's the game. I give agape sincerely. I receive gape sincerely. I give love sincerely. I receive love sincerely. And that's how we one another. And Jesus says, when you love each other like that, that's what marks you as my disciples, right? And well, how? Well, the one another's are the hows. They can help with all of that and cut through that confusion and allow us to, to do what God wants us to do, okay? So this weekend, I want to take a deeper dive onto this. And if you haven't kind of been up to speed on that, go to the website, the app, the podcast. That stuff's always free at Grace. But maybe grab that information and kind of process it a little bit because I think it'll help you. And I think it'll be very helpful in your relationships and transformative in your thinking and kind of walk you through that process. But this weekend, we want to go another step into this. And we want to take a hard look at the book of Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them and open them. Hebrews chapter 10, it's page 973 and the Bibles that are in your chairs, and this is all on the app too, if you just wanna use your smartphone. Hebrews chapter 10, page 973. And we wanna talk about this idea, we're giving, we're receiving. What the writer of Hebrews does is he says, this is something that we should do for one another. And so I wanna read this through, we're gonna to have to frame it up and then we're gonna dig at it a little bit and see what God has to teach us, okay? So verse 19, chapter 10, Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then here's the one another, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together, as some of us are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day Approaching, So there's like a bunch in there and some weird stuff, right? Confidently approach the most holy place. Our conscience sprinkled with blood so that we can have a clear conscience. Like there's a bunch of Old Testament-y stuff in here. But we need to work at that a little bit. I'll explain it to you here in order to understand what is meant by verse 24, right? So in verse 24... 
Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 24 is placed right where God wants it to, play, to be. So there's a reason that verse 19 through 23 comes before verse 24. Because it frames it and it sets the context that will help us to understand what God is actually desiring from his people. So if we back up, verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through a curtain, through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house, let a house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. When the ancient Hebrew people received this letter, so that's what that is. This is a letter written by one of the apostles to the early church to help them get their head around who Jesus is and what he's like and what he wants. So he's explaining all of that. When they received this letter and read it for the first time and they read the words that uh, in verse 19, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, when they heard that phrase, that would have blown their mind. The idea that you would have had confidence to enter the most holy place would have been a reference that they picked up on and it would have blown their mind that you would enter that place with confidence, okay? So let's Bible nerd out here for a minute and let's talk about the Old Testament, what they were hearing. In the Old Testament, God, for a bunch of reasons that were all rooted in love, gave his people what is called the law, right? And so the law was kind of a set of rules that they were to follow or a set of steps that they were to take. And when you followed the law and you followed the rules and you followed the steps, it gave you a very defined pathway of how to get right with God. And so the law was given to God's people. They would go to, in the, in the early Old Testament, something called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a portable temple is what it was. And so it literally was a tent that they would set up and tear down. It later on became the temple that Solomon built. And in that temple, the key guy in that temple was called the high priest. And this is what the law said was supposed to happen in the temple in order for your sins to be forgiven. At the center point of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, or what the writer of Hebrews calls the most holy place. And in the Holy of Holies, what would happen once a year, and only once a year, is the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies resided the presence of God. It's just the way the Old Testament worked, right? And so resided the presence of God, and once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel, and their sins would be forgiven kind of for the year, so to say. One guy would go into that place one time a year, and that high priest was not just any guy. To be the high priest, you had to be, you had to be born into a certain tribe of Israel, and then you had to actually, in that tribe, you had to be born into a certain family, and then you had to live life a certain way. You had to marry a certain girl. You had to marry a, an Israelite virgin, was the only girl that you could possibly marry, and then you would be trained. You would go to school your whole life. You would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. You would memorize all of the laws that had been added on top of that, and you would memorize all of the rules and the procedures that would allow you to go into the Holy of Holies. The week that you were getting ready to go in the Holy of Holies, you had to consecrate yourself or purify yourself. So you weren't allowed to ever, if you were the high priest, you weren't allowed to ever touch a dead body, not even your family members. So you had to be pure, you had to eat a certain way, you had to cleanse a certain way. The day you were going to go in the Holy of Holies, you had to wear special clothes, you had to, t you had to change your clothes four times, you had to take a bath 
half four times before you could go into the Holy of Holies. And then when you were getting ready to go in there, you would walk up to a curtain. And oftentimes in the Bible, it's called the veil. And so the curtain would separate kind of man from God. Most scholars think that curtain was three inches thick of heavenly, uh, heavily woven fabric. And so you'd walk up to the curtain one time a year. You would do a blood sacrifice a certain way. You would take a lamb and sacrifice it a certain way. And then you would go into the curtain after all of these rituals you would go through. And just in case you did the rituals wrong or something was wrong with your heart, they would tie a rope around you so that if you went into the presence of God and you messed it up and God struck you dead, they could lug you on out of the Holy of Holies, right? That's the way it worked. Because in the Old Testament, if you were in the presence of God without kind of God's authorization, he'd strike you dead. And that happened more than once. I just dead. Right? Done. And so they were afraid of all of that. And there was all of this procedure and all of this ritual and all of these laws. And only one tribe even qualified. And only one family in that tribe qualified. And only one guy in that family qualified. And suddenly the writer of Hebrews is talking to the early church. And he says, hey, you know what? Now what we should do is we have confidence to just go in there ourselves. And these people who would have been raised with all of this teaching and all of this tradition and all of these laws following parts of them themselves, when they heard that, they, they would have double-clicked hard on that and said, what, what? Yeah, just with confidence. No, but not even the high priest approached the Holy of Holies with confidence. I mean, you had the rope, right? If you, gotta, if you need a rope... And so it was mind-boggling to them that they would hear that and understand that. And then the writer goes on and he says, yeah, you can do that because there's this new and living way opened uh, for us through the curtain, this, this that three-inch curtain he's talking about. We go there and we go there with confidence because there's this new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his Body, And so he's suddenly talking about Christ. He's like, no, no, no. You can go there with confidence now because the curtain is open. There's not a separation between man and God. When Jesus died on the cross, the moment he died, several things happened. And sometimes kind of in the Easter story, we miss these details. The Bible says when he died, darkness hit the earth. When he died, an earthquake happened. When he died, uh, dead people were raised from the dead. And then when he died, the curtain to the Holy of Holies tore from top to bottom. It tore in two. And it's not a metaphor. It literally did it. It's documented outside the scriptures. So when the writer is speaking to them and saying, you want to get your head around Jesus, remember, there's this new way, Christ, and living way, because he rose again from the dead, open for us through the curtain. The curtain, the doorway to God is now Christ. And what he did for us on the cross, his body is the door. And then he goes, he goes on and he says this. He says, so let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Now it's not about getting the ritual correct. It's about having your heart lined up with Christ. Everybody was scared of the ritual. I got to offer the right lamb and I got to be there at the right time. I got to take the right number of baths and man, I better have the right clothes on. And and just in case, give me a rope. And now he's saying, no, 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 the curtain is torn. We with confidence go into the most holy place or the presence of God because Jesus becomes our doorway and what God is looking for is the sincere heart not the right or perfect behavior in order to be in his presence See, it's this mind boggling thing that would have shaken kind of their understanding of God 
as well as ours. It's this new and living way. The old way was based on rules and religion. Follow these rules and practice this religion. The new way is built on love and relationships. Have a sincere heart. Jesus said, here's the number one commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. So have a sincere heart, love, and have a relationship with me. God wants something different from us, see. This over here was all about the barriers to God. You've got to cross this barrier and then that barrier and then this barrier. And if you really have the right pedigree and you super duper have the right education and you are a massive rule keeper, then you will get close to God. And if you are the best of the best of the best or the best, we'll tie a rope around you. The new and living way is a way of invitation. It's a way of welcoming, see. It's a beckoning, and it changes how we interact with God. Instead of being people who are kind of working our way to God, now we are children who are in right relationship with God. My uh, my world has been changed a little bit the last few years because a couple of the boys of, of Heidi and I's oldest boys are working at the church now. They're studying to they're in the Grace College program. They're studying to be pastors, and so I sit in my office. The, the place of all knowledge and wisdom is where I sit in my office. And there is like an army of Jedi assistants that live out here. And if you try to come into my office, they all have lightsabers and they will strike you down. Right? You, you cannot come to me without an appointment. It is the highest and elevated place that there is. And so you may, you may not make eye contact with me. And, and you must talk to my assistants in order to get into my office. It's been weird having the boys work in the office with me because they just barge in. Dad, dad, can you feed me? It, it, some things don't change. Dad, I need gas money. Right, so they just barge in. And I was, I was talking about my one son last night. He goes, well, I guess you're technically my boss, dad. And I was like, mm, there's no technically. You know what planet you're living in, right? But they, they come in with a confidence that comes from relationship, see? I, I run into, like you guys out and about, some of you won't make eye contact with me, and if you do see me, you start telling me why you haven't been in church for so long, <laughs> right? Heidi doesn't interact with me that way. I, this is just a little marriage issue. I, I don't think Heidi's as impressed with me as she should be. <laughs> if you could just put that on your prayer list for her, she, right? Why? Because I'm not whoever to her. I'm her husband. Relationship gives a different confidence. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's like, no, no, no. We're, you're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. The relationship has been completely changed. We don't tie a rope on ourselves to go interact with our God. We go through the door that is Christ. And it's the sincerity of the heart, it's the depth of the love, not the purity of the behavior that defines that relationship. And we enter into that place. In fact, Jesus says, I tell you what, I want you to come boldly into the throne room of God and make your request known. You belong in this place because you're a child of God. See, Heidi doesn't come at me with fear and trembling. The boys don't think of me as anybody but their dad. So they know that there's this standing invitation, right? Yeah, that works. So the writer of Hebrews changes that all up and he's making that point and it is mind-boggling to people who were taught the exact opposite. Okay? Now, with that perspective in mind, 
Now we can look at verse 24, because you can't understand verse 24 if you don't understand verses 19 through 23, because God put them in order for a reason. So now off of that perspective, you come to verse 24, which says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So the writer is looking and saying, now Christ followers, Christ followers, this is what I want you to do. I want you to consider how, that's a big deal. I want you to think about, I want you to strategize, I want you to make a list, I want you to plan, I want you to brainstorm how to do something. How do you spur one another on? This word spur, another word for that is exhort, which is a Bible word, a church word. If you ever heard a pastor say, I want to exhort you this morning, you just nod your head yes, but nobody knows what it means. The word exhort means this. It means to entice or prod or push. So we exhort each other spiritually. I want to consider how we may exhort or entice, prod, or push one another on toward love and good deeds. In the, in the normal world, you would exhort each other maybe like at a Weight Watchers meeting. Like we're going to kind of hold each other accountable. Or at a Celebrate Recovery meeting, I exhort you to keep, you know, think of different ways. Maybe you should change your friends. Like you're going to plan it. In the spiritual world, the church world, you're going to exhort each other generally when it comes to overcoming some kind of sin. So I want you to consider how you can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, right? And we generally take that into some kind of sin. We'll generally sit down with one another and we'll say something like this, hey, I need to speak more gently to my family, all right, uh, I, need to, I need to stop being materialistic. I bought my 13th purse from Dillard's this week. I'm in rehab. Like, I need to stop doing that. And so generally we look and say, let's consider how we may exhort one another to behavior modification and religious conformity is generally how we'll take advantage of that. See? I want to I know how to alter my behavior and how to conform religiously. And we would generally read this verse that way. I, and then we'd, we'd throw other verses that don't directly apply on Iron sharpens iron, you know. And we would look and say, I'm going to hold you, the, the churchy word is accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable to good deeds, to getting it right is generally how we would read that verse. And so what happens then is you get together and you have accountability, right? And accountability, like I said, it's a churchy word. Think of Weight Watchers, think of Celebrate Recovery, something like that. I'm going to have accountability, but you're plugging a sin in. And the first time you meet with your accountability partner, you tell the truth, and then what happens after that is you just kind of low-key lie to each other for indefinitely. It's generally how it works, honestly. And so I'm going to hold you accountable, but what am I holding you accountable to? Behavior modification or religious conformity, which is exactly what the ancient Jewish people were held accountable to. So I'm going to exhort you. Yeah, I need to. I need to. I need to quit like being harsh with my wife. All right. Well, you should stop that. And the next time we get together, I'm going to ask you if you stopped it. Yeah, I'm going to push you, prod you to knock it off. Right. I need to guard my tongue because I know Christians don't. They don't. They're not to be a Captain F bomb. So Christians don't F-bomb out loud. We just do it in our head. But right, so we're, we're like, I just got to stop it. I got to stop saying that stuff. I got to stop, you know, spending money here and doing this and whatever. And so we'll be accountable for each other's behavior. And then the counsel we'll give each other is religious conformity. I got I to be more gentle with my words. Yeah, you do. Stop it. Have you read your Bible? It's usually how it goes. You need to read your Bible. You, are you praying? You're not praying. You should be 15 minutes a day in prayer. Or if you don't, like your car won't start. Right? And, and then are you, do, are you going to church? You're proud, the reason why you've got to work harder at being a dad and you're not being a good dad is because you're not going to church. So we'll hold each other accountable to good deeds 
and then we'll answer or push each other toward religious conformity or through behavior modification, which is the exact same thing the ancient Hebrew people were doing and exactly what the letter's about. See? I'm just not getting along well with my husband, you know, Hezekiah. Well, you haven't, you haven't been to temple for weeks. You haven't been to temple, and then you tried to, you tried to stand in the men's section at temple. So you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. I just can't, I don't know, my wife, I just can't, my wife and my 14 children, I just can't, she's not sure what to do. You know, I lost it with her, and then I got up in the morning, and the donkey wouldn't start. I know God's mad at me, and, right? It's, it would be the exact way of thinking, accountability to rules with a religious prescription. You need to go to confession, you need to go to communion, you need to go. So when the writer of Hebrews comes in, and he starts with verses 19 to 23, which is all about what Christ did on the cross. Here's a little tip for you when you're reading your Bible. Whenever God connects something directly to the cross, you should pay double attention to it. So when you come into a passage like this, and he's like, by the way, considering what Jesus did, then this. It's like, oh man, that should hit the highlight reel. So 19 through 23, considering what Jesus did and the, tor- the, the veil is torn and the confidence that we have, and because of all that then, the outcome of what Christ did on the cross for us in real terms is we should consider how to spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. Good deeds is the outward expression of love. That's all that it is. Good deeds is the outward expression of love. And suddenly when I get together and we're considering how, I'm not considering how to modify my behavior or to increase my religious conformity. I'm asking a completely different question. How do I love? Help me think about how to love, to consider my love. Man, I'm just struggling. I'm, I'm just, you know, I fought with my wife. She's always like, be gentle with me. And I'm like, Arm! and, and I, it's this roundabout fight. And I just, and instead of saying, well, stop it, you would maybe start asking a different set of questions. All right, man, you're having trouble with your words? Yeah, okay, let's think about this. Where do words come from? Well, the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why we always mean what we say. Where do words come from? So the issue isn't the mouth, the issue is the heart. Let's talk about this. Let's consider how to love your spouse, your roommate, whoever it is. Let's consider how to love them. First of all, are you asking God at all to change your heart toward them? Do you see her as a daughter of God? Are you considering her pain, her fears, her insecurity, like you would if, you, if your own daughter was scared Are you thinking of ways, let's think of ways to build her up, to encourage her. Let's talk about how to love her. And as your love for her increases, your good deeds will be the natural outcome, and you'll wind up stopping it. I'm just, I'm so caught materialism, man. I just got, you know, I'm always, okay, let's, let's talk about this. What's the Bible say? What does Jesus say about our money? He says our treasure and our hearts are always in the same place. Our treasures and our hearts are always in the same place, right? So the, the, the greatest window into your heart is your checkbook. You'll always see what you love by looking at what you spend money on. So the issue isn't what brand of purse you have or car that you drive. It's never the issue. Who cares? The issue is, what am I loving? And when I make this financial decision, when I say this yes, I'm saying this no. 
And if I'm to love others and put their interests above my own, how does that speak into my materialism? When Paul says, what I want is equality, you ate, let them eat. You have shelter, let them have shelter. Doesn't mean same hood ornament. You drive a Lambo, they drive it. That's not what that means at all. So what does it say about my heart? So let's talk about our hearts and how can we love the poor, love our neighbor, love our enemy, love, just fill in your blank. How can, let's consider how to do that and then the good deeds will follow. See, see how that works? It's not behavior modification or religious conformity. The outcome of the cross, the torn veil, the confidence that we come into the most holy place, the the sincerity of our heart, the outplay of that is that we spur one another, we, we push, we prod, see, we encourage, we entice love. A deeper love for God and a deeper love for our neighbor and then that will play out. How do we express then that love? not behavior modifications, not religious conformity. That's what the writer was breaking them out of. See? And it's mind-boggling. It, it changes everything. It, 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 puts, it puts life in a completely different position because I'm asking the right questions and then what Paul, what the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who he is, but it was Paul. The, the writer of Hebrews, what he's saying is, is he's saying, bring that out of each other. He spur that on. And you will wind up, that it's, a, it's a universal language. And you will wind up loving people the way that that God loves you. Jesus didn't trip on the edge of heaven, fall to the planet, be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, and give his life on the earth. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a happening. It was a plan. He and the Father considered how to do that. See, that, that was an intentional action on their part. Because he wanted to love us that way. And then he's saying, because of that, bring that out. Now, if I was going to implement this in, in my life, if I was going to try to take this passage, I was going to go verses 19 through 25, and I was going to play this out in my life, the way that I would play this out in practical ways is backwards. I would start ver- with verse 25, and I would move the whole passage upside down is the way that I would practically play it out. So verse 25 says this, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If I was gonna look and say, I really wanna do the spring one another on, the first thing I would do is I would begin meeting together to consider how I would get the meeting on the schedule. And I would look and I would say, is there anybody in my life that are, are committed followers of Christ, that when we get, to, we get together and we work at this, and we create these relationships on purpose. So I would get a meeting on the schedule. You don't, you don't do this by accident, right? You have to gather together. In fact, I talked, taught on this verse a few weeks ago just about the importance of gathering together. The average committed Christian in North America goes to church one out of every six weekends. You would never send your kid to school one out of every six days and expect them to learn anything. You would never send your kid to practice one out of every six practices and expect them to master the sport. So you have to have the meeting, you have to prioritize it, right? You don't accidentally get into shape. I can tell you that from personal experience, right? It doesn't just happen. If you want to get in shape, if you want to do it, you have to put it on the schedule, you have to make it work, right? Now let me say this. If you're an adult, if you're college and up, this becomes difficult. In junior high and high school, by the way, you should be doing this too, but generally you're together in junior high and high school. You're in, a, in an environment together. 
College is a little bit of a transition if you're in the right dorm or if you have the right roommate. And then once you get beyond that, you have to make this happen. You're not just gonna stumble into spiritually deep and strong relationships. You have to put it on the calendar. I have to do this. I I have three friends. We love each other. We connect with each other. We want to push each other spiritually. And we have to make a meeting. So we meet together about once every two or three months. Get together at 8 o'clock at night. We're usually done about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. We're all middle-aged guys, and so that throws us off for about two and a half weeks to stay up that late. But between the jobs and the kids and the phase of life, we have to book it. Or we will, it will never happen. It's not just going to happen spontaneously. And so if I was going to do this, I would start by actually setting the meeting up and finding the people to do this. Then I would do this, I'd set the meeting up, and then I would go to verse 24, consider how you may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is the agenda for the meeting. So when we get together, this is not like watching the Super Bowl, which is great, right? It's not just hanging out for a little bit or playing some euchre, that stuff is great, it's just a different thing. I would set the meeting up, and then in that meeting, the point of that meeting is to push into each other's lives, to speak into each other's lives. And so in that meeting, we're going to play catch, and sometimes that ball gets thrown hard. (laughs) But we're going to play catch, and I'm going to give you a permission to speak into my life, and you're going to give that to me. And I'm going to give you agape, and I'm going to receive agape from you. I'm going to let you push me, prod me, entice me, and then I'm going to turn around and do that back to you because we want to spur one another on toward love, and we're, we're not going to come up with a to-do list. We're, we're, going to, we're going to know each other so that when we see each other casually, so to say, we know the backstory can speak into each other's lives. So I would set the meeting, number one. Number two, I would, I would actually have the right agenda for that meeting, right? And I would say, we're, we're doing this, and let's ask each other the tough questions and dig deep into it. And then I would, we're moving back up the list. We're moving from 25 up to 19. Then I would do this. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. I would look at that, and I would say this, that in the meeting, the outcome of that meeting, is that we're helping each other draw near to God. We're not just leaning on relationships with one another. This is different. The relationships spark the depth of our interaction with God. So deep friendships, super important. Knowing, open our hearts up to each other, super important. But the outcome is that we're spurring one another closer and closer to God. Okay? So the prayers are different. The prayers aren't, help Bob to quit F-bombing. The prayers that I'm going to pray for my friends after the meeting is, help Bob in this area with this kid to love them in this way. And then when I ask that question later, I'm not going to just say, so did you F-bomb? I'm going to say, did you have the conversation? Are you praying together? Is there any way that I can help? Do you, we need to talk about it more. Did plan A not work? Can we re-strategize and come up with plan B? The point of the meeting is to come out walking toward Christ. And it's great when you can do that together. But that's what you're trying to spur on with each other, right? That we're going to draw near to God. And then the ultimate landing point is verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the ultimate landing place is this. I'm going to set the meeting. Here's the agenda. We're going to push each other toward God. And then ultimately, I need to live in the presence of God. That those relationships are pushing me to Christ so that my daily interaction 
is walking closely with God, or what the Bible would say, being led by the Spirit, or another Bible term is abiding with Christ. So that, that it's not just accountability that gets my willpower up. That's not all bad for certain things, but that's not what this is talking about. It's not just deep friendships. We call each other and tell each other the truth and nothing ever happens. It, that's great, but it's way more than that. It's not just a band, we're locking arms, we're going through life. That's terrific, but locking arms with Christ is way more important. And then I'm going to wind up on my own. I'm going to be in that moment of tension. I'm going to be in that point of decision. And what I'm looking for is this confidence that I am with Christ in that moment. That, that God is not this far off thing. He's not a meeting. He's not a religion. He's not a set of rules. But, but I walk through that curtain and interact with Christ myself. Guys, one of my biggest fears always is in your spiritual growth, this is one of my biggest fears. It's, the Bible says to gather together. Church is very important and teaching is to be the predominant uh, event of the church gathering. That's 1 Corinthians 14. It's right out of the Bible. But here's one of my biggest fears. My biggest fears is this is that you come to me or listen to a podcast or whoever your favorite speaker is, and the mindset is this. Hey, Jeff, go through that curtain and talk to God, and then come back out and tell us what he said. You, you, you walk in there. You're, you're the paid professional. You walk in there. See, what, what, what's God going to say? What did he tell us? What did he tell you? You tell us what he told you. And there is a place for that, but the writer of Hebrews is blowing that model up. And he's saying, actually, you do it. You're a, a royal priest, Peter says. You're a part of the holy, holy nation. You walk behind the curtain. You interact with God. And then come over here when we gather and tell us what he's telling you. And th- this, is, this is why we spend time in God's word. This is why we pray. This is why we worship. It's even why we go to church, why we gather together. It's not so I can tell you what God's telling me. It's so that you can hear directly from God and then you can share that with each other. And we use it to spur one another on. See the love and good deeds. The writer of Hebrews just really flipped this coin over. And he looks and says, this is the outcome of the cross. This is because of what Jesus did. This is now how we interact with God and how we interact with others. And when we are doing this, we are marked as the people of God. Who else gets together and says, how can I love you with Christ's love in a better way? Who considers that? Who puts that meeting on their calendar? Well, the people of God do. Because we would look and say, well, it seems like that's a way to play out the two greatest commandments. If I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and seconds like it, love my neighbor as myself, that's worth a meeting. It's worth a conversation. It's worth an agenda. It's worth a spurring And it's going to define my relationship and our relationship with Christ. All right. Here's what I was thinking, just kind of questions to process through. I just wrote these down. I I, I asked this question, do you have people like this in your life? Do you you have the the meeting? And, And if you don't, you, you're going to have to create it more than likely. And so that's fine. It, it would be normal for the people of God to put a meeting like this on the schedule. Right? So is there the place to gather? Are you doing that? And if not, maybe create it. Here's the second question. How do you receive the spurring? This is a big one. When someone's pushing you 
prodding you, enticing you, how do you receive that? Is that received defensively? Is that a half answer? What's your, what's your relationship actually like? Oh, you know, pretty good. We have our moments. That's not an answer. That's a dodge, right? How do you receive that? When somebody pushes into your life, we're playing catch. So do I, do I receive the ball even if it's a fastball, right? So do I have the meeting? How do I receive the spurring? And then am I simply taking advantage of what God has already given us? Guys, listen. There are so many environments like this at Grace Church. They're everywhere. The only thing missing is you. Okay? Men, if, if, you, want a, if you want a Bible study, I meet guys every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., at Gent Road in the community room. If you ever want to hear Jeff unplugged, that's the place to go because it's early and I'm grumpy and the coffee hasn't kicked in yet. And that, so you're not allowed to record it. You're not allowed to tweet anything that I say because honestly, if the others find out, I'd probably lose my job. So, right, so like, but you want, you want to connect with a bunch of guys? You want to study God's word? You want to have the conversations you want to have? It's there. Ladies, there's all kinds of women's Bible studies for you. Look at the website. They're all over the place. There are tons of life groups. There are tons of student life groups. There's tons of collective life groups. There, there's church services. There's project teams that you can serve. This is everywhere. Once out of every five weekends will get you nowhere. See, we, ha- we have to work it into our lives. If you always watch online, it's a great supplement. Glad you're doing it. But you have to come in. You have to build these relationships or this part of your spiritual journey can't play out, right? So you, you, you kind of have to own, I'm spurring you right now. Kind of own that a little bit. And whether it's something existing or something that you need to create, like that, that piece of it, right, you, you have to decide this is going to be the priority and this is something that I'm going to build into my lives, okay? Consider how you may spur one another on toward love, not behavior, and good deeds, not religion, right? And when you do that, people will know that you're my disciples, all right. The band's going to come out, give us a little space to think, pray. Just ask God, what would he want you to do with all this? Jesus, help us with this. Help us to find the right relationships and to open ourselves up in them. Lord, I'm fairly convinced you can become friends with anybody that you can trust. And so, Lord, lead us to each other. You want this, so through your spirit, energize it, so to say, and lead us to each other. Help us to see the need for this. We cannot go it alone. You didn't even create our relationship with you to work that way. There's always others involved. And so if you need to convict us, convict us. If you need to encourage us, do that. If you need to just lead us, do that. And Lord, let us be a people marked by our love for you and our love for each other. Push into our hearts in these still moments, Jesus, in your name.